This episode is sponsored by Paul Lewis. Paul Lewis is a burlesque superfan and producer based in Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Knoxville, Tennessee. Paul, happy birthday, and thank you so much for your continued support of The Pasty Tapes. If you want to be like Paul and treat yourself by sponsoring an episode of The Pasty Tapes, visit thepastytapes.com. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live today from Chicago. Today's episode is sponsored by a dear fan and friend of The Pasty Tapes, Paul Lewis. Today's guest is a performer, teacher, and mentor. She's co-director of the Vancouver Burlesque Center. She's an international award-winning and headlining performer who's appeared at the Burlesque Hall of Fame multiple times. She's someone who has a huge piece in my own burlesque origin story. This is Vancouver's rock and roll flapper. This is my conversation with Lola Frost. Lola Frost, thank you so much for being on this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I'm so thrilled to be here, Shomay. Thank you for having me. Okay, I am such a huge fan of yours. You have influenced my burlesque and the people who's influenced my burlesque's burlesque as well. Like you're just such a deep and rich part of my personal burlesque origin story, which we'll get to later. So it is a joy. It is an honor. I am so grateful to spend this lovely evening with you and share this little episode with you know, whoever's listening. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you as well. And obviously I treasure you deeply and have spent such a joyful time in burlesque watching you grow and bloom, even though we are on different, not hemispheres, but you know, there's some distance between us, but watching you rise and flourish has just really been um, an awesome experience to behold. Okay, we're like two minutes in and I already have goosebumps. Okay, this is like, that's another thing I'm going to ask you about, right? This effect that you have on people. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, Lola Frost, let's start where I start every episode of the Pacey Tapes. Tell me your burlesque origin story. I would happily share that with you. Um, I just also wanted to acknowledge that I'm coming to you from Vancouver, and this is the unceded territory of the Coastal Salish peoples, the Musqueam, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Squamish nations. It's with deep gratitude that I'm able to live and create and communicate (laughs) to you from this place. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. So my story is that I grew up in small towns all over this province and definitely, since I can remember, had a huge affinity for fancy naked ladies. You know, I I had really young parents, so MTV and much music was on all the time. Um, I watched videos like um, movies that were obviously way beyond my age group. (laughs) It didn't really matter. And I just wanted to be a stripper since I was really, really young. I tell this story sometimes when I'm asked about like, how did you start burlesque? And I said, I wanted to be a stripper since I was eight. That's like the short version, right? I didn't really know at the time exactly what a stripper was, but if there was like a saloon girl, a cabaret girl, any kind of illustrious lady of the night, I was like, this is what I attached to. Okay. I love this because when I was like six or maybe not, when I was younger, 
the Demi Moore movie Striptease came out or uh-huh. something like that. I have no idea what that movie was about. I've never seen it, but I saw that and I was like that, like, I want to be this beautiful naked yes. lady. Yes, very much so. And there's like, you know, if I like really like file back between certain movies, like, um, cause I'm a, probably a little bit older than you, but I do remember then that movie came out and I was like more like a young teen, but even in my younger hood too, like Jamie Lee Curtis in true lies, she does this like striptease and it just like, I made me lose my dang mind. I was like, Oh, this is what I want in my life. <laughs> anyway. Um, many stories like that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I mean, fast forward counterculture has always been something that I belong to. So like, you know punk rock scenes so like that kind of music that kind of like going to gigs and being invibed by like the way that that music moved me the way that the performers kind of lost themselves in the performance was always something I attached to I kind of grew a little bit more into a raver as time went on because I wanted to dance and dance and dance and dance Um, and again kind of lose myself in that music and and like culture sort of like you could go somewhere and immerse yourself so that was like really influential to my sort of early times and then in my early 20s I just started saying to people I want to do burlesque I want to do burlesque and they're like what is that I'm like I'm not sure <laughs> I just know that I want to do it and I'd, I'd obviously seen you know blips here in like counterculture magazines or a few flyers started to emerge in the city like burlesque show and i'm like i want to do that i could tell that this is something that i needed and yeah when i went to my first show uh probably in 2003 i think i was like uh-huh there it is it was that thing that I was looking for, which was not like strip clubs. When I go to strip clubs, I was like, okay, there's something here, but it's not quite what I was looking for. Like something about more engagement, something about more like quote unquote for my weird brain was like arty, you know, like I'm a punk rock, (laughs) nothing conventional. And I just started kind of popping into a few shows. I went up to a producer, a very, very problematic producer but of course we did not know that back then and was like hey I want to do this and they were like sure I got a show next month we'll put you in and I was like is there like an audition or something and they're like no I'm sure you got what it takes (laughs) like kid you know what I mean yeah Um, and so I we all know that doesn't happen anymore um and so yeah I just went home I didn't even know if I, I like barely, I owned like one half bustier and like one pair of lace panties. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. So I made up a couple uh, acts and one was two strangers on a train by Lovage. Uh, and the other was a do not ever do this for your first burlesque to sweet charity, <laughs> a big spender. And <laughs> I guess I did a good job because uh, I kept getting hired. So that's, that is the deep origins. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot to unpack there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that from your childhood. Like you knew that you were drawn to fancy naked ladies and then you become a fancy naked lady. Mm-hmm. I want to know from other burlesquers, like, okay, who else as a kid wanted to be a stripper and then found their way into burlesque? But people can reach out to me on that later. So, Lola, walk me forward a little bit. So you're in burlesque. You started, you did your first show. Tell me more about, you know, being in this 
other slice of kind of a punk rocky alternative culture. Tell me about like finding your people in burlesque. Yeah, it was it was interesting because at that time in the city, you know, as being someone that's like a quote unquote independent performer, um, there was a, a few troops in town. So there was uh, the Screaming Chicken Theatrical Society and there was Sweet Soul Burlesque. And, you know, there was maybe a couple other very small kind of fringe. I won't go into the great details of who was around, but um, you know who you are. Uh, and then there was a producer duo, Jazz Royale and Cecilia Bravo. And what they were doing at the time was they were putting on shows with multiple independent artists or like, um, you know, independent performers. So they would pull um, from different people who didn't maybe have a troupe and they would just put on shows. So it was more them producing us dancing. And as sort of time went on, did a few shows with them. And then as time went on, started to reach out and be like, oh, who, who's around? Like, who is the sweet soul? Who is Screaming Chicken? And if you ask the producers, they were, um, they weren't the greatest at telling you nice things. And I was like, all right, if someone's already trash talking someone who's new in the scene, aka me, about these other people it obviously means that they're probably good people and you're not good people you know what I mean I'm like my eyebrow is raised um so once I got to know um those other groups uh, and realizing that the people that I worked with like weren't great um I just sort of started you know branching out and distancing myself from that um asked a couple other uh folks that I danced with if they wanted to you know form a troop from a group together and my sister was in the city at that time so it was my sister myself like Miss Via Rose at the time she's no longer a dancer but her name was Pink Sky she was a hybrid burlesque and stripper uh pheromones and Katie Couture so we just kind of started our own little thing called the Starlet Harlots and um you know, as you do when there's nothing else around you just make up your own shit so we just booked some venues and threw some shows and um, eventually got more connected with Sweet Soul. And what was great about working with Sweet Soul is that they were also like me, fellow ex-punk rockers and ravers. <laughs> so we vibed really well together um, and just started doing shows together. Um, I think I joined them in 2008 and sort of worked with them uh, up until a couple of years ago when we, the whole kind of troop disbanded due to like life pulling us all in different directions. So that's sort of like, how I sort of wiggled in the city to find the people that like really resonated with my own style, with my ethos and um, were putting on the kind of shows that I wanted to be part of. Something that I love about you and something that I've noticed in watching, watching your performances over the years in my research, right? I've been able to see this like progression in your burlesque and how you treat the art form and what you're presenting. I think this power has always been there. I think your incredible energy has always been there. Can you tell me about how your burlesque has changed over this very long career that you've had that's obviously still very rich and still going? It is really interesting how when I first started, it was so much about like, I want to be on stage. I want to dance. I want to take my clothes off for strangers and just express myself, right? And it was far more a punk rock vibe when I first started, of course, it was, it was, that was the great rebellion. That was like, you know, the sort of fuck you society. I don't have to close my legs. I don't have to wear my clothes. Like that whole sort of embodied 
um, sensation of like, you know, I hate the word empowered, but embodied sort of nature. But then as I started to progress and like, you know, do more shows and like actually dip into calling what I did art and thinking of myself as an artist and exploring both like what I could do on stage, like visually, emotionally, spiritually with like my own self-development. So like, like I say, I always wanted to do this. I always like sought it out. And so then I'm like, well, now I have this platform and like, what is it that I actually want to express? Like I've done the thing where I'm like, here I am. So now what am I saying? And so a large summation of most of the acts that I've created fancy flapper aside that's pretty exuberant and just straight up like I want to shake around a whole bunch but um, most of the acts that I create are from a sense of like reclamation of power so something that I feel throughout my lifetime has like maybe been stripped away from me or experiences that were traumatic or like live inside my body live inside my bones I wanted to find a way to heal that and so because we had a whole bunch of time before the internet was really big and where our shows were smaller, we kind of had this stage to do a bunch of stuff that was more weird or alternative or like for me, like deep kind of healing. So I could get that sense of reclamation and sort of fill my cup and then take that to a bigger stage where it's like here's this thing that I think is aesthetically pleasing has a sensation of like you say like the slow burn or like that deep sensuality because instead of enacting it like that's an embodied thing like I've taken time to explore it and to put it out on stage where before I was like searching for it searching how to be powerful searching to fulfill that sort of expression and then finally on stage I felt like I could really be present inside of it. Yes, that's like super juicy. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just sort of one of those things where like, and then it kind of went after I was able to sort of create and heal and express that way, then I could kind of get into more fun freedom style. And I think that also is like a segue into like club stripping where instead of it having to be so choreographed or artistically purposeful. It was like, now I want to joyfully strip again. You know, <laughs> Now I want to just be like, boom, I'm here. I love being here. I feel powerful. And, you know, what can happen in that space? You write about power a lot in your blog, which goes back a number of years. Lots of deep thoughts there. Tell me more about your life in the club and how you started doing that and how that's, I guess, impacted your life and maybe impacted your performance art. Yeah, club stripping was definitely something that I um, that I added uh, for purely financial reasons. Um when I started that about seven years ago, I was already starting to become like a fairly, like a highly booked burlesque performer domestically and internationally, which was great. But as most of us that are full-time performers know, the money is not there. So we supplement. I did a lot of art modeling. I taught, right. And it just, um, it still wasn't enough. Like I, it's not an income. (laughs) Y'all, it's not an income. (laughs) It's a supplement to the income, but stripping was an obvious uh, addition to my skill set and my job set, plus something that I obviously always wanted to do. And um, what held me back for the longest time is my body style, right? So I 
tall, muscular, short hair, um, no titties, and like not that any of this matters to our world in particular, but in the conventional club stripping world, um, it really does. And it's kind of like, I always kind of refer to it like Hollywood style, right? Where it's like, there's an aesthetic that is expected. Right. <laughs> um, it's got slight variances, but the variances are not big. Um, and so I, you know, I didn't want to go into this industry and be like, oh, now you have to get a boob job. Like now you have to dye your hair blonde. Like just the traditional things we think of in that convention. Yeah. And so a couple of girlfriends of mine uh, started working in that industry. And so I was like, yo, like we kind of have similar body types, like tell me how it is. And basically they were like, there's, you know, like it's not as intense as it used to be because club culture has changed quite a bit. So they do have variances. Like you're still going to get comments about your body like always, <laughs> but they're less enforcing. They're not going to make you get surgery if you don't want it, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. So I just kind of started slow. I worked at an independent club for two weeks at a time. And I go, you know, back to Vancouver and, you know, live my life and do burlesque and teach. And then I would go and do another stint. Um, and then eventually I just wanted to do it more and like really dedicate. I'm like, okay, hey, I have this amount of time. <laughs> I'll dedicate three full years of being on the road, doing the circuit. So in Western quote unquote Canada, we have, it's a different kind of style of working. So I just kind of, dedicated myself to that and um it both I mean if you want to talk about stage time like Ray Gunn and I had a huge dish where he was like I am so jealous of the fact that there is not this option for like male-bodied people because you get to literally be on stage every night all night and I was like yes it has its benefits where you just sort of are constantly flowing constantly moving you know, the expression of burlesque is obviously interwoven to my club style. Yeah, it just kind of gave me the opportunity to make a bigger income because you're working every night. Um, and then also just have a lot of stage time. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> Babe, let me tell you the depth of my exhaustion. <laughs> You know, you're doing a circuit around a section of your country. That sounds like a lot. I am tired listening to that. Maybe it's pandemic brain, but I am tired listening to that. <laughs> There's, um, I think it's Jack the Stripper has like a piece of merch that says all sluts are tired or something where I'm just like, hallelujah. Um, it's, it's really real. It was for three years straight, 90% of my time was spent on the road between burlesque, uh, teaching workshops, and working full-time in clubs. You mentioned stage time and how that in itself is a gift. And something that you mentioned on your blog, and you mentioned a little bit, you know, in in that last um, question, was, you know, connecting energy, all of that. Mm -hmm. So something on your blog that you mentioned, um, you know, you're a self-proclaimed sex switch. There's that. I think that that's a beautiful way to describe yourself. Lola Frost is a sex witch. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Under one of your blog posts that you posted in 2020 was, it brings me great joy to know that in such an ambiguous environment like a strip club, there can be connection and fulfillment through physical and energetic exchange. I'm assuming, you know, you had all that time to flow and move in those in these seven years that you've had at the strip club. I think it would be a disservice to say that that's where you honed in your skills on energy, because that is something that people have been saying that you have a gift about, right? This energy exchange, this power, this 
I don't know, being able to burn holes into people's souls, into the depths <laughs> of people's souls. Can you tell me more about, I don't know, your philosophy around connecting with people from the stage? I think that comes with, I mean, I've been practicing some form of ritual or witchcraft in whatever sense people want to attach that to. Mine's very nature-based, um, where there is that just connection to the self. And it's something that I've had to work on to hone into the stage because it's very easy to get like kind of that ray of sensation lost in the music, lost in the moment. And I would get off stage sometimes and be like, what just happened? You know, like, sure, like you give an exuberant performance, but it wasn't as sort of dialed. And I think that was a level of like of fear or nerves. And again, like not having that sense of sort of embodiment in myself. And so once I started to work with being very grounded on stage, very present on stage, um, and then being able to in turn really connect with the audience because I felt like I belong there, like I deserve to be there. And that I was sharing something really deep and like mystical, right? Like really primal with these people. And so it became like casting spells. So of course you have to connect with the energy out there and the people out there. And at first it was like, the audience is one, right? Like it's like a, the audience is one being. And then as I sort of got more comfortable, it's like, then I can start to actually look at individual people in the audience without sort of breaking that concentration or, or losing myself, right? Like you see someone's eyes and you're like, now I am lost in this ethereal moment. <laughs> so if you can stay connected uh, to that energy exchange while also performing, while also remembering your choreo, um, that's like a really special um, thing. And to me is very, is very magic. So when that happened in burlesque, of course, that was a great place for me to feel secure, especially on the strip club stage where it is not the same type of audience. They're not celebrating you, they're consuming you, right? And so the energy exchange at a strip club is a little bit more transactional, but in, in the way that I perform and the way that I interact is still that authentic energy exchange because you're looking, of course, for a good show, but also the intimacy of sitting at someone's table, maybe they're tipping you, going for lap dances, like that deep, intimate connection that some, I mean, every stripper, like every performer is different. Um, but if my customers or clients or the audience, if they let me in, I'm so happy to keep channeling that like deep, authentic, you know, sex witch power connection, connection with them and for them, right? Because it becomes two-way instead of just someone consuming and feeding off your performance or your energy, it becomes like alive. Ooh, yes, that is true. I can feel it when I see you perform in person in the burlesque setting and I can see it when I'm watching your videos, which I spent today watching a bunch of your old videos that are online. Oh, golly. And <laughs> I love it. Okay, it is such a treat. I'm sorry, maybe that's embarrassing, but it's out there. It's the internet. I love you. That's that. Um, you know, in doing my research on in doing my research on you, I talked to one of your biggest fans, Paul Lewis, out of Atlanta, Georgia, slash Knoxville. And he talked a lot about the energy that you bring and this connection. And I just want to give a little snippet in one of the things that Paul said, which was Lola Frost evokes feelings connecting. Something that you do is that you connect more deeply than any other performer that he had seen. And he also says that the energy that Lola Frost 
alchemizes between the audience and herself is just like being firmly yet gently punched in the face. (laughs) So touched. Oh, that's really beautiful. Paul Lewis is definitely a wordsmith. We know that. But that is so true. That's what you do. I think that's what you do to people. That's what you've done to me. You came into Chicago, I want to say in 2017, 2018. I don't think I was show my more officially yet. And you just rolled through and you were in a vertical sideshow uh, performance. And, you know, you were doing one of the like group numbers that is super highly choreographed and goofy. Mm -hmm. And even though it wasn't, you know, a solo and even though it wasn't a strip tease and it was just a really goofy group number, I felt like you were dancing for me. I felt like this joy that you were bringing to the stage, right? For a performer that we know is being this deep, like, you know, really primal kind of energy. It was, you know, a really like goofy kind of group number. I don't know if you remember this, but oh, I, yes. <laughs> I remember feeling like, I was smiling for you and you were smiling for me. And I don't know, like, that's just, this is obviously me just like rambling and fangirling right now, but that's like the power that you bring. Thank you. I mean, I just, like to, to relate to all of that is I've often kind of looked at performers that I admire or what they bring to the stage and been like, like wow you know like they have so much innovation or they have so much costuming or their dance moves are wild and I'm like what do I even do up there like sometimes I was like I don't even know because but then I just dip back into that place of like what I've tried to build or what I try to be conscious of it like it's presence right and it's like and it's people and it's a thousand percent like I know that you're here with me and I just want to share myself with you so bad (laughs) so I'm glad that little tendrils reach out because it's, you know, it's what I'm here for. I have goosebumps. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. What you bring to the stage, what you bring is you a thousand percent you and you're a goddess. Like there's no other word like to put it. Like there's just something so magical and like wicked about you in a very godly divine sense, which I don't think I've ever used those words in that combination ever in my life, but it's true. And now I'm all like beat red and this is going to be a wild editing process for the podcast, but I just need you to know that I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you. Let's tie it back to a question before um, everyone tunes out and is like, all right, this is just show my more like gooing at someone that she really loves. Okay. Thank you audience uh, for being here and being with us. Something that you just mentioned and something I think that ties back into what we're talking about in terms of this energy is the concept of duality. Something that we talked about in prepping for this interview was how you tap into both your masculine and your feminine energy. Can you tell me what that means? Can you remind us again, like what that means? What does that look like? How does burlesque like present this opportunity for you to play with this duality concept? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something if we had had this interview, like maybe, I mean, even last year, maybe, but two years ago before I'm, I've started to like dive deeper, obviously into gender constructs, which I am pleased. Like I'm still very baby at um, understanding the depth and fullness of it. Um, But pre sort of identifying, you know, I'll use mask and I'll use femme as opposed to like male and female. So like these 
yes, a sense of duality of dark, of light, of hard edges and swirling energy. I'm trying really hard to articulate, even in my classes, things that aren't so attached to gender. But I think we're safe to say mask and femme um, in the sense of duality and balance. And I guess this sort of leads back to my own experiences in my body um, of feeling very tomboyish, of feeling very mask as I was growing up. I mean, I do write about it a little bit as well, um, being mistaken for a guy all the time um, and not being upset about it until I started doing burlesque and it started to like almost increase people asking me like oh are you a guy or a girl are you born a guy or a girl like you know what are your genitalia and I was just really kind of I was sort of dumbfounded by this question all the time because I was trying for the first time in my life to present high femme right and I had never done that before I was like really comfortable being a bit more androgynous or a bit more you know, blended and um, without really meaning to just how it felt naturally. And so by trying to harness this deep femme and still having those questions was really like off-putting to me. And I didn't mind that the question was there. I just minded that they wanted to argue with me about it. So not being like, I don't care if I'm mistaken for whatever gender or non-gender, but they would want to fight me on it. Like, no, women don't look like you or no, that's not how I perceive femininity or blah, blah, blah. So that sort of sense in a, in an outward way um, made me like a little to like maybe want to explore it more, I guess. And without kind of fully understanding it, like, again, like as I was like more punk rock or more just doing burlesque before I started being way more intentional about it, the sense of duality was just sort of natural. I want to be these hard, penetrating, direct, like outwardly forcible forces. And then I also want to be this like soft, like flowing, like non-angular receptive kind of being. And so I guess that's where like the mask femme dualities come from. And again, I'm trying to take all the, gender out and describe it as like a sensation um because you were in my class and we talked about penetrative and receptive energies and these are the kind of things where I'm trying to be like pokey <laughs> like literally penetrative like expansive as opposed to the soft and swirly and um yeah like receptive I guess are the words that are just coming to me now it makes sense yeah I mean I I think that that was probably one of the most powerful moments in my burlesque education history. And then now it's that it's being reframed into, or, you know, now that we're talking about it directly here in this conversation about duality. Yeah. That balance was there, right? Like you need to have a force that's being willing to like poke or stab or like rip into something. Those are all very violent words that I don't, you know, (laughs) that's, that's probably very extreme. Um, But then you also have like the other end of that, right? Like someone who's receiving and like also as the performer, like changing that switch, like when it's appropriate or flipping that switch when it's appropriate to be the one receiving that energy from the audience or, you know, in a duet or like even with yourself, like throughout the act with the music or whatever you're performing with. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something really interesting around the f- 
the femme part um, for myself in particular, which was that I did not nurture the femme part of me for a long time. So obviously it felt more vulnerable for me. Anything kind of, even though my person offstage, like I feel very receptive um, and like safe like that. As a performer, I was looking so much to express this like hard, powerful, stalwart, like smoldery as, as opposed to that soft nature. And I equated weakness with them. I equated, um, you know, all of that kind of like what society thinks of femme energy as being more of a negative and it's, you know, I'm still working on it. Um, so having that, those portions in my acts like really helped me to get in touch with that femme part of me and allow it to not be in a negative way allowed me to really shine a positive light on it and like surprise party I'm super femme like I, you know I didn't know this about myself until a couple of years ago tell me more about that what self-discoveries you've had like through this exploring duality more yeah I mean I guess I can touch to it a little bit I and mean, like I I also want to bring up like that interesting thing you know where goddess energy or like quote pussy magic like there are these really interesting terms which again like it's an interesting time of life where I'm grappling with that terminology because I still obviously you know like love to channel those things and use those words but I'm also trying to figure out a way for for me to use them more inclusively to people that might not attach to those individual things especially pussy being like a physical genitalia like how to speak on them to still feel embodied if we want to channel that energy. So coming definitely from a place of like really attaching to those words and those feelings in particular to where I am now, it's definitely this weird kind of fluid place where I'm just like, how do I describe these things? I'm going to do my best. (laughs) But um, I guess, yeah, the discoveries were definitely that I don't have to be just one thing. I don't have to fight as hard as I think I have to fight to prove myself, right? So burlesque gave me like such, I mean, for most of us, I'm sure that a lot of us can relate that burlesque gave us this container to be seen and to be held in like who we were or who we're projecting ourselves to be. Because often performance is this great place of expression that we don't necessarily walk down the street every day feeling or looking like, but it definitely with the embodiment and the practice and the constant like the feedback of celebration as like a radical act of self-love was so powerful in my life that it gave me, you know, the, the added sort of confidence to be like, yep, I can apply this to anything that I'm trying to do in my life. What goal I got, how do I throw some of that like burlesque learning or burlesque healing, you know, into that and not so much about duality, but definitely about acceptance and, you know, belonging and celebration, like just so much celebration. And that was a thing that thank goodness I had this foundation before I went into strip clubs or it just, I feel like it just would have shattered me a little bit because they, you don't get celebrated in a way that is that effortless. They wouldn't see my weird duality of strength and femme. They would have seen it as being like, what are you doing weirdo? You know, instead of having that foundation. The thread that I'm finding throughout this conversation that we're having is just this strong sense of self and continuing to establish that like strong sense of self for you. 
Yeah, it's just kind of like that that permissive sense of self where it's like you, this is who you are and you want to add to it or you want to take some things away or you want to learn some things, you know, and just, yeah, kind of coming into your own. Okay, you've talked about teaching or, you know, these discoveries that you've had and teaching and these shifts that you've had in burlesque. And so I wanted to tell, I wanted to break a little bit and then tell this really cheesy, hopefully not too long-winded story about the connections and like what I learned from you as like pre show my more, like before I was this thing. All right. Is that okay with you? Can I- oh, please. <laughs> All please, right. please share. This is my favorite story um, to tell this Lola Frost. For those who don't know is very much a huge part of my personal burlesque origin story. It was Burley con, 2017, long, long ago at BurleyCon 2017. It was a Sunday. It was like the 1 p.m. slot before the closing ceremony. Lola Frost was teaching her very signature slow burn class, right? This was the slow burn class. Mm-hmm. You bet. Yeah. And it was full. It was really, really full. At the end, you know, eventually we did like a little bit of choreo, um, you know, just a little bit of like free movement, but making sure we're holding gaze goals of like, okay, like I want you to look at this person and look at your audience and That was really powerful for me, especially as someone who hadn't debuted in burlesque yet. There was this part where it happens in a lot of BurleyCon classes where it's like, okay, who wants to demonstrate what we learned today? I'll place the music and just move around. And this is what happened at the end of your class, Lola, where you asked, okay, can we have volunteers? And usually it was just one person going at a time. Something had happened to where, you know, I rose my hand and the and the person behind me re- rose their hand. And that person ended up being Kitty Kapow, who is one of my dear, dear friends. And I think you played Hello by Adele and we did an impromptu <laughs> slow burn. We moved across the grand ballroom space and it was just beautiful and powerful and I have chills like thinking about it. And I wish there was a video of it, but also at the same time, I don't because it was just such a like in the moment you had to be there thing where because of you, because of this class and because of that moment that I experienced facilitated through what you were teaching us with Kitty Kapow, I feel like Show My More was born like in that room under your watch, which sounds like a lot and sounds really cheesy, but that's like, I left that room realizing, all right, like it's time. It's time to be on stage. It's time to like figure out what this is and who I am and what it is that I want to do. And I think as much as, you know, the energy of the class was great, um, you know, people were very nice. Everyone applauded. It was like, oh my God, that was so hot. Like, who are you? Where do you perform? What really happened for me was like the power that I felt in myself. Um, I think you unlocked in that moment, like something deeply sexy that I didn't know existed and deeply powerful that I didn't know existed. And, you know, as someone who's like very much a, all right, this is step one, step two, step three kind of person. It was just, okay, I'm going to play some Adele and you're going to go. And it worked and it worked. And I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. And anyway, that was a very long winded um, prompt for this question, but what I want to learn from you or what I want to, what I would love to ask you about is 
about your teaching philosophy and what does that look like? You know, is that something that you hear often that you've unlocked this like deeply <laughs> intense thing in someone and now they're a maniac who runs a burlesque podcast and has <laughs> traveled around the country? Like, is that a thing? Like, I don't know. That wasn't a real question, but I hope you know what I'm asking. Like, I would love to learn from you about like what it's like being this facilitator for so many people, not only in your, um, not only in Vancouver, but like also in all the spaces that you've been in and have taught something. Um, I love your story. <laughs> it makes <laughs> me like, it was not long winded. Um, thank you for sharing that again, both with like who's listening and also with me. I remember that very well. Um, especially the sensation of it being one of the last classes and how very connected um, you and Kitty were and how the whole the whole room was just moving with you. Like everyone was just like, we are here for this. Um, it was really special and um, did make my heart <sighs> flutter a whole bunch. It made my heart grow like a balloon. So I have had feedback for sure in classes where people have felt like, like, you know, like an aha moment, you know, for sure. Like, I feel like you unlock something or I used to say, I just want to give you permission to be yourself, right? Like, can I create a container for you having a safer space, a held space to, to be more you, right? And I think it's, when I think about saying that I like, I give permission to people like that's kind of a bullshit statement. And I'm like, that's not very, I don't know, consensual, but it's like, I want to create spaces with my teaching that you do feel like you don't have to be anything that you're not, but maybe there's a piece that hasn't had the opportunity to shine through yet. Like, I mean, I know I've taken classes with certain people like Lady Josephine, um, Legs Malone, like where they have, they've unlocked certain things in me. I've watched certain performers where I'm like, aha, I see them do something that I've longed to do, but I didn't have the tools yet or I didn't have the space yet. And when I teach, it's so important to me that people like that folks feel comfortable whether or not anything comes out of it. That's like so, so deep. I just want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel held and not in a way that's like point your toes here, count to eight here. Right. It's not about that. It's not about fitting into something. It's like, I just hope my classes allow you. Yeah. To just access a little more of yourself. Well, clearly you did that. <laughs> really, I did so that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it's all you. It's not me. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I'm just there like being a huge nerd. I think I'm just kind of like cracking some weird jokes and sharing some weird shit I've learned and like cobbling together, you know, things that I think are important or have been powerful for me. And then I'm just sharing them. You know what I mean? It's like, I, again, I'm a conduit. I'm like, just like performing. I'm like, I'm going to be present here. I'm going to come prepared with some shit that I've learned and maybe offer, like, it's just an offering. Take it, leave it, take part of it, leave the rest. doesn't matter. It's not up to me. Right. And like, if something sticks, rad, <laughs> you know, especially if it's meaningful to you. Knowing that you're a slow burn performer, that's 
what you, that's what you do. That's why everyone says to learn from me. Okay. You need to like learn how to stand still. And I went into that class expecting, okay, this is going to be like three, eight counts of move your arm as slowly as possible. <laughs> and that's not what we did at all, at all. And I'm very <laughs> grateful for that. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad. Cause yeah, I definitely think people expect to roll in and be like, I'm going to show you how to be sexy like me. Nah, <laughs> like that's not even a thing. I just, because it's so different. It's so different uh, for everybody. And also what I will be like, kind of laugh about like Cherry, like my business partner and my dear, dear, dear friend, Cherry on top. We talk a lot about how our, some younger students will come to us and be like, I want to be, I want to learn to be sexy like you. And, you know, there's certain things that only, that come with time, <laughs> with age, with a whole lot of fucking um, experience. <laughs> but that that piece of being like your own, your own embodiment of what it is that you want to be or how you want to present yourself. And sometimes that does take time. Other times it is an aha unlocking and it's always there. It's like, it lives inside of you, right? But it's like, how do we, as, as a teacher, how do I facilitate perhaps some of that insight you know it's just it's not me it's you <laughs> it is me um, <laughs> it was you all along <laughs> uh, what I love about watching you is that there's a very clear version of Lola Frost sexy right that's like its own thing because and we're hearing it you just said it right everyone has their own version of sexy and we need to have that permission to unlock and realize what that is. And it's not, you know, like at the same time, like anything can be sexy if you put your mind to it. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, you know, and some days we really feel like being that kind of prowly, like, I mean, I have my own folks that I watched that I was like, I love the pieces of how they stay still of how they move their arm like this, how they like steal glances. Sure. They're like weird technical things like that. Right. But the deepest thing you can do, I think, is like, is access your own, right? It is, is just like what resonates with you so much that you can also translate and share. Ooh, okay. That was so good. I have chills. Yes. I love you and I miss you so much. And oh, so much power here. Oh, okay. I think this is a good place to end because <laughs> I will just fangirl over you forever and then ask you about power so that I can keep being powerful um, for the rest of forever too. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Lola Frost, I think this is a great place to wrap up. Thank you again for being on this episode of the Pasty Tapes. Where can people find you on the internet or wherever? Oh, Shomai, thank you so much. You are just such a fucking treasure. I wish that I could reach through my screen and give you the biggest full body hug for like an hour. <laughs> well, one day technology might catch up with us and that might be possible. But for now, I'll take it off the screen. Awesome. Um, okay, so yes, uh, the internet, you can find me um, anywhere at Lola Frost. <laughs> I've been on the internet for a minute. So Instagram, Twitter, 
Gmail. It's all at Lola Frost. One word. Um, obviously, there's no shows to promote and you can't come see me at a strip club, um, but you can take my classes online um, and you can register through the Vancouver Burlesque Company um, or you can just fire me off an email. I'm always willing to answer questions. Um, if you ever wonder what my teaching style is like, I'll send you a workshop. You know, just get at me and see if um, my modalities work for you. Um, I'd be really happy to have you in class. And thankfully, I've had good feedback. I've been teaching via Zoom and in person since the pandemic. Uh, so some good feedback around how things are still translating um, over the screen, which I'm really grateful for. So I teach things like Pilates, some sweet, slow stretch, some floor work and some chair dance. It's kind of my repertoire right now uh, just to keep it both um, lots of structure and strength, but also lots of juicy, gooey dance sexy times. <laughs> Obviously taking classes from Lola Frost has worked for me. And I think <laughs> I hope that that is something all of you experience one day too. And it could happen from the comfort of your own home or in person yeah. someday in our future. <laughs> Thank you again, Lola. I, I love you. I miss you. And hopefully I'll talk to you soon. I love you and miss you too, Shomai. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Lola. Ugh, oh my gosh. Isn't she so cool? I love her. I think she's great. Thank you again to Paul Lewis for sponsoring this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I want to know your thoughts. Tell me what you thought about this episode. Tell me if you also grew up wanting to be a stripper when you were a kid. Leave me a message on the Pasty Tapes hotline at 1-530-PASTIES or drop me a message or give me a shout out on Instagram at the Pasty Tapes. If you want to unlock some special sneak peeks, some fun extra goodies, and support this podcast, join the Pasty Tapes fan club. You can join now at thepastytapes.com. Shout out to the newest members of the Pasty Tapes fan club, Charlotte Strudel, Abby Dandy, Muff Jones, and Arabesque Burlesque. Do you want to help out in a big way and make this podcast possible? If you want to be like Paul Lewis and sponsor a whole ass episode of the Pacey Tapes, please get in touch and let's keep this project rolling. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Pacey Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. You can follow me across the internet at Show My More. I am turning 30 in almost exactly one month. I'm going to be hosting a really fun event, so keep an eye out on my Instagram for more details. I'm so glad you're here. I love you. I miss you so much, and I will talk to you soon.